guys are in for a special treat today at Redemption because we have one of your missionaries in the house. His name is Jacob Jester. Man, you're going to be so blessed to hear what God is doing. Me and Jacob, we have been friends for several years. Um, through church planting, we got connected. He was pastoring a great church out in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, and then the Lord called him to missions, and we're going to share that story today. But he's actually preached here before. Um, on the weekend that my daughter Ruth was born, he filled in the pulpit for us, so he got to come see Ruth in the hospital. It was a blessing then, it's a blessing today. In fact, me and Jacob and our wives, we almost died together um, last year on a mission trip to Greece. We got stuck in an elevator. Uh, no, it's not as crazy as some of the other stories he's going to talk about today. But we did get stuck on an elevator in Greece. And so it was a core memory for us as well. And so, Redemption, you are in for a very uh, big blessing today. So could we give a warm Redemption welcome to your missionary, my friend, Jacob Jester. Come on, church. Let's say thank you. Amen. Amen. I am, I am very excited. Uh, we love Byron and Ashley and are very grateful for their friendship. We did. We got, we got stuck in an elevator in uh, Athens, Greece, and we, uh, we actually have a video of it because it's so funny. We were actually videoing. We put too many people in an elevator. And we were recording when the elevator went whoosh. And so it's actually all on film. We don't show people this. But no, we're very excited. Uh, we're grateful to you, Redemption. My wife and I send um, our greetings to you. She sends her greetings to you. So grateful for the relationship that we have with Redemption and the partnership that the Lord has established. So we're very excited about what God is doing and know that great things are going to come. Um, I have been married to my wife, Kristen, for 19 years. I, um, I, I wish I had thought to bring a picture. I'd be a better father and husband if I would have brought a picture of my family. Uh, so she and I have been married 19 years. We've got a son named Jude who is 15 years old. He believes with all of his heart that he's the greatest athlete our family's ever seen. <laughs> Could be true. Uh, he's a stud. We've got a son named Cruz who is 13 years old, and he and Jude could not be more different. He's very into his friends and gaming, and then we've got Indy, who is seven years old, and she is a little princess and uh, loves all things related to that, and so uh, she gives me the most hugs and tells me that I'm her favorite, and that's why she's mine. So um, <laughs> I love, love my family. God has blessed us. Um, what I'm going to do this morning is very simple. Um, I'm going to share with you a word that I believe the Lord has put on my heart for you. But I'm also going to talk to you about missions at the same time and going to let you into a little bit of our story. And I'm excited because I, I believe that God has something to say. And I do believe that before we leave this room, we will believe and know that we've been in the presence of the Lord. Um, so if you have your Bible, would you turn with me to the book of Ezekiel chapter number 37. The book of Ezekiel chapter 37, verse number 1. Ezekiel chapter 37, verse number 1. It says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? 
And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to be at church this morning, to be at Redemption. God, I pray that your word and your anointing would go forth, and I pray that we would hear from you exactly what you want to say to us. God, I pray that by the time we leave this morning, we would know that we've been in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. In your name we pray, and everybody said with me, amen. In 1989, my dad had a dream. And in his dream, my father found himself sitting in an airplane. He started to try and orient himself to where he was and why he was sitting on an airplane, but he found himself sitting in an airplane. He didn't know where he was going or why he was in an airplane, but he knew somehow that he was in the middle of a dream. And as the plane started to land, he started looking out the windows to try and orient himself to where he was and why he was on this plane. He found himself landing on a narrow strip of asphalt, and when he went to the stairs, because the stairs were lowered down from the plane onto an asphalt runway, he walked to the bottom of the stairs and, and tried to look around to see where he was and saw that he was on a peninsula. He was on a peninsula, surrounded on three sides by water. Trying to understand why, he, he realized that across the left, on the left side, there was a bay of water. So on one side from the airport to the other side of the bay, there was water that separated them. And on the other side, he saw that there were mountains. And he saw that these mountains were very high, and these mountains rose all the way from the beach up into the sky. But there was a city that sat on the side of the mountain, and he could see the twinkling lights from this large city in the distance. And my dad woke up the next morning. He ran and he found my mom. And he said to my mom, he said, I believe that the Lord has called us into missions. And more, I believe that God has shown me where we're going to go. And my mom laughed out loud. She said, you can go. I'm going to stay. And so my dad began to pray for my mom. He began to pray, Father, I pray that you would speak to my wife about the place that you're calling us both to go together. God, I pray that you would speak to her about where we're going to serve you in missions. And my mom, she began to pray too. She said, God, I pray that you would get these crazy thoughts out of my dad or my husband's head. I pray that all these crazy thoughts you put in his head, God, that you would cancel them out in Jesus' name. She prayed that over and over, and my dad prayed for my mom. They prayed for each other. It was a unique season. It was a unique time in their life as they were trying to discern and understand the will of God. See, sometimes you and I have to be willing to do things that require us to be uncomfortable for the sake of serving Jesus. Because the reality is that my mother had become comfortable where she was. She'd grown up in a small town in Arkansas, in a small place where everyone knew each other, where family was the tightest bond around. And so my mom had become used to being in a scenario and in a setting in which she was comfortable with what the Lord had put in front of her. But I want to say this to somebody in the room today. Oftentimes the thing that God calls you to is something that requires you to not be comfortable. And oftentimes that's on purpose from God. 
The call of God that you will read in Scripture has nothing to do about my personal comfort. In fact, the Bible never says that as a son, as a daughter of God, that you will be called to comfort. It simply says that He will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. And when you and I are ready to serve God, it means that we are willing to put one foot in front of the other and then go to the places and to the peoples that God has called us to go to. That is the purpose and the plan of God. Sometimes it is to go, and then for other people in the room, it is to send those who are called to go. Many of you will become a sender, and you will send people to places and times and in peoples you'll never go to on your own. Others of you, I believe, will be called to go to those same people. I love my kids. I love the kids that God has given me. But I'll be honest with you, from a parent's perspective, I don't always have the best answers to their questions, especially when I feel like they're defying my authority. I want you to take out the trash. Well, why? I want you to go make your bed. Why? Because there's ramen underneath your bed that's returned to its original state. And I need you to go back and take care of it. This is the son who eats all the ramen we can buy him. And he continually puts things in his body that when left dehydrated, return to their original state. And I wonder why he chooses to eat this all the time. I don't always have time to articulate a well-thought-out reply to my son's questions when they ask me why. And I find myself saying the same thing over and over to them. Well, because I said so. Do you know that that frustrated you and I when our moms and dads said that to us? Well, because I said so. I want you to go make the bed because I said so. I want you to mow the grass because I said so. There's a reason why it's frustrating. Because when we say because I said so, it doesn't have an explanation. Because I said so is filled with ambiguity. And because I said so has to rely on trust and belief that there is an understanding between parents that when we say because I said so, hopefully we have the best for our children in mind. Which takes me back to our scripture. It says the hand of the Lord was upon me. See, what you and I are seeing in this moment is a very dark and a powerful moment. The prophet Ezekiel is taken to a valley. And I use my imagination when I read the scriptures because the scripture begins to come alive. And I picture loose rock sitting on the tops of these mountains that now stand like piers around the valley. No more than maybe one or two entrances at the most. And these bones at the bottom of the valley had met there in the middle somewhere along the way, perhaps for war. But now they have long lost life. And I wonder to myself, why? See, I've had this verse on my heart for some time now, and I believe that there are buried truths within the Scripture. And as I've read and reread this passage time and time again, I've come to the conclusion that there are missions, principles buried within the layers of the context. And the first one that I want to peel back for you this morning is very simple. Every purpose has power, but only if put into practice. Every purpose has power, but only if put into practice. What do I mean by that? I mean that you and I were made on purpose and for a purpose. There was no randomness to our lives. You may be a random person, but random events and random moments do not equate to the order that God has called us to live out. The word order implies that you and I have a place. A place where we do what God has called us to do. A place where we live the way that God has shown us. And a way that we live that purpose out. But here's the catch. My place in the order and your place in the order do not all 
always have to line up. In other words, my place may not be your place. My joy may not be your joy. My gifting may not be your gifting. That's why some of us like me are called to be those who go. And some of us like you may be called to be those who send those who go. The frustration that we have sometimes as sons and daughters of God is that we feel like we need to embrace the calling that God has put on someone else. We have to embrace who they are, the thing that makes them excited, the thing that gives them the same joy. Social media plays into this narrative that we have to be someone that we are not. And I want to give somebody some freedom in the room today. You are not called to be the person sitting next to you. You are uniquely called to be the person that God has called you to be. For some of us, that should be something that brings freedom to you. You're not your mother. You're not your father. You're not your spouse. You are the son and the daughter of God that he's intended you to be that he's called you to be so learn to step into the uniqueness that God has placed upon you there's something exciting by knowing that what you've called me to do God may not be what you have been called to do see I've been called to go I've been called to the continent of Africa to one of the greatest and one of the most unique and yet at the same time one of the most unreached places in the world. God has called me to go and the partnership that we have together with Redemption Church means that the great joys that I get to experience on the continent of Africa, you get to experience as well because you are sending. You're a sender and senders and goers may look different but at the same time the joy that we each have together is the joy that we get to share. We get to share the same joy. See, my children have a way of critiquing me. Have you ever been critiqued by children who have not experienced life? (laughs) Who just don't know? Most of the time, my kids will say something and me and Kristen will just go, dummies. (laughs) Not really. We don't. We, we just share that knowing glance. And, but a couple of years ago, my kids started to say to me, Dad, you're eccentric. I know what that word means. But I did not know what it meant to them. And I would find myself in interesting places and I would just be singing. Or maybe I would roll the windows down on the way to pick them up from school and play 80s rock and roll. And they would say, Dad, you're eccentric. So I was processing this until one day me and Kristen were shopping at a store and we we saw that there was a guy walking past us pushing a shopping cart. And he was pushing it just like this. And Kristen said, do you see him? I said, yes, I do. She said, that's eccentric. She said, that's you. That's something you would do. And for about three seconds, I was offended until I realized, yes, I would. I would totally do something like that and not really be bothered by the fact that I was doing it. See, 
There's some of us in the room that you are constantly looking around trying to figure out what other people are doing so you can get an understanding of what you need to do. There are times and seasons in which that is true. Goers and cinders tend to flock in groups. And there is a heart of generosity that God wants to begin to pour out upon you. At the same time, you are not necessarily called to do and to be the people that you are not called to be. Because at the same time, there will always be a frustration in you if you are stretched to be the gifting that God has laid upon someone else. There will be frustration that you walk in unless you learn to be comfortable being the person that God has called you to be. And I want to give somebody else freedom in the room. The freedom that God has for you is to step into the plans and the promises that God has laid upon your heart. So here's the good news. Your order is found in your orders. Where you fit is found in what frustrates you. You belong by doing what God has designated you to do. Put simply, your job is to do the job that God has given you to do. So what is that? If it's to preach, then you better preach it, preacher. If it's to teach, then you better teach it, teacher. If it's to give everything that you have to a business that you've laid your hands to, then do it all to the glory of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords because He is worthy of your very best no matter what it is that God has called you to. Whatever He's laid in front of you, do it to the glory of God. See, we were, we were six years into a church plant in Phoenix, Arizona, and I had actually grown to love the desert. The Lord had called us there, and I had grown to love it. I loved the fact that I didn't own a lawnmower for eight years, and I would just go out and I would rake my rocks. I'd become anal about the lines. I loved that I could go into my yard and pick lemons and oranges off the tree and make lemonade on a good day. I loved how the saguaro cactus at a certain time of the year would, would bud and birds would come to try to pick the fruit off of it and Native Americans would make dishes from that fruit. I, I loved how the superstition mountains at certain times of the year with the monsoon rains would come alive with what had once been death would now come alive because the rain would start to pour into the valley. I had grown to love the place that God had called me to be. And then the Lord began to speak. And the Lord began to say, it's time to go again. But at this point, after years of having just constantly leaned into being uncomfortable, at this point in my life with three kids, I wanted to be anything but uncomfortable. And so I pretended like I didn't hear the voice of God. The struggle when we pretend that we don't hear the voice of God is that we always tell God no to the detriment of our intimacy with him. Every time we tell God no, it's not to the detriment of my comfort, although it may be. It's to the detriment of my intimacy and my relationship with God. Because when I tell God no, I tell something else that it's more important than he is. I tell something else that it's more important. She's more important. That life is more important. That church is more important. And so finally, I remember telling God yes and sitting down on the floor in the middle of our living room and holding our three kids in our arms and we begin to talk to them about the place that God was speaking to us about, the continent of Africa. I talked about the 48 countries in Africa that we were going to have oversight in. I began to talk to them though about the 21 countries in Africa that did not have a missionary from our movement, our network of churches. 
I began to talk to them about 250 million people that had never heard the name Jesus before. 867 unreached people groups across the continent of Africa, which is when a, a particular people group has less than 2% in the entire tribe, the entire people group that have any kind of relationship with Jesus. Africa is the fastest growing continent on the planet. It's the youngest continent on the planet. It's the most urbanizing continent on the planet. Today, there are 1.4 billion people on the continent of Africa, and the UN predicts that in the next 80 years, there will be 4.3 billion people on the continent of Africa. And yet, we do not have enough people standing up in the middle of these cities, in these villages, among these unreached people groups, and proclaiming the name of Jesus to a people who had never heard the name Jesus before. And so essentially, I was saying to God I will lay aside everything that I love for the purpose of embracing a people that you love that I will ask you cause me to fall in love with as well See, I love that God is moving in Beaumont, that you have four services on a Sunday morning. I love that we believe in Beaumont and beyond, but let's not get too comfortable with what I know, that we forget to embrace that there is a world outside of this city that still needs to know about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that there is a place that does not yet know the name Jesus. There's some of us in this room that you've spent the last few weeks and months hearing from God to do one thing and you've done the opposite. He's told you to go right and you've gone left. He's asked for all and you've settled for some. He said more and your answer has been enough. So here's where we're going to go. You have all been set on a mission. But the mission of God isn't fulfilled unless the purpose is realized. And yet your purpose cannot be realized without an embrace of God's mission for your life. It becomes the catch of our life. We cannot know our purpose without an embrace of God's mission. And we cannot help to fulfill that mission without being settled into our purpose. Somebody needs to hear this. Purpose and placement are tied to mission and vision. You are made to be filled. You were made to be complete in Jesus. You were born to be finished in his presence. In other words, you are found in the God's placement. For some of us in the room... The emptiness that you feel and the loneliness, the sense of wandering, it comes back down to this. You haven't obeyed your orders. God has been giving you marching orders. See, marching orders are to a better future. Marching orders are meant for us to find out who we really are. Marching orders are for life. They are not for death. They're meant for us to hear the voice of God and then to go there. So let's go back to our verse for just a moment. It says, the hand of the Lord was upon me. And he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. I want you to take note of two things. It says, he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord. This is the supernatural marker of the moment. It means that God took him to a place. God brought him out. God's power sent him. It means that the prophet was taken through God's anointing, not through his own ability. And here's where I want to take you for just a moment. When you are willing to be on point and on mission to do what God has called you to do, he will take you to places you never could have gone on your own. 
He will show you things you never could have seen with your own eyes. He will put you in situations you could not have created with your own strength. That's why the best place for you to be is in the palm of His hand. His peace comes in where He positions you. And you will find that His grace is always in His goodness. And His grace is always enough. Oftentimes we say, God, what are you doing? Where are you taking me? I don't want to step until I know. But here's the promise that God has given you. That he will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. He will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. It means that God will not always give you the entirety of the journey. But he will show you that he will give you the next step. But by faith, I have to be willing to put that one foot in front of the other. By faith, I have to be willing to say, God, where are you leading me? Where are you taking me? The second thing I want you to take notice of is that it says he set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. See, you are made in the valley. You are formed in the valley. You are vindicated. In fact, I think you will find victory in the valley of dry bones. Why? Because God was showing Ezekiel a scenario that should not exist. The valley of dry bones should not exist. Death shouldn't exist. Pain should not exist. Poverty and brokenness and sin should not exist. Racism should not exist. And for some of us in the room, you've been standing in the middle of a valley of dry bones trying to wonder, how did I get here? How did my marriage get here? How did my son get here? How did my business get here? And you're beginning to wonder, why did God bring you to the middle of a valley of dry bones? It's because when you're standing in the middle of a valley of dry bones, I want you to do what the Bible says, to lift up your eyes to the hills. Because where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. It's not that I find help in the person next to me. They can give me strength, but my help comes from the Lord. My help doesn't come in my wealth. My help comes from the Lord. It doesn't come in my talent. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He is my strength. Notice what the Bible says God did with Ezekiel. He took him to a valley of dry bones. And then he began to say to him, son of man, can these bones live? This is what you're going to do when you find yourself sitting in the middle of a valley of dry bones. The first thing that you'll tend to do is you'll deny it. You'll say, this can't be. But when we deny it, we ignore it. And when we deny it, we inadvertently perpetuate it. We create its ongoing existence. It's in our denial that we allow sin and brokenness and pain to do more than defy us. We allow it to define us. And we can deny the plan of God. The second thing that you'll tend to do is you'll deflect it. The definition for the word deflect is to turn aside. See, deflection is the denial of our responsibility. Deflection is when we turn our ear to weeping. Deflection is when we say to God, no, when our response should be to Him, yes. When God says go, instead we say no. The third thing that you'll do is you'll have to decide, can these bones live and this is where we've been headed this morning we've been put into valleys to see 
what can become of them. Because behind every problem, there is potential. Behind our brokenness, there is a healer. And behind our sin, there is always a savior. I'm going to ask the band to come back and spend some time with me. A couple of years ago, a member of our team went to northern Ghana. Northern Ghana to dig a water well. That part of northern Ghana has red clay that creates a very interesting mud and the sand becomes compact and it becomes hard to dig a well. See, we, what we like to say in Africa is that water is life. 70% of our body, 70% of the human body is actually made from water, but we also say that water is death. We've met young ladies. We've met young men who are often sent by moms and dads down to the river, down to the stream to draw water. And they will take these buckets down to the water. And as they try to draw water, some of them have lost limbs, they've lost legs. Because just below the surface, just below the surface, there's a crocodile waiting for a young boy, a young lady to come and draw water. And so water can be death. We've seen entire villages that have gone to get water from, from pools, from, from pools of water that have been trampled over and over again by animals that have run through there and crushed it, leaving behind bacteria and disease that's rife and riddled inside the water. And they will draw that water and take it back to their family, take it back to their homes where they will cook with and they will drink. And young boys and whole families are experiencing dysentery and losing life because water is life. But if water is not treated correctly, then water becomes death. Water is something that we all need. Africa is the most water-scarce continent on the planet. And so we sent a member of our team to go to northern Ghana and to begin to dig a well. But what we've decided is we will not go to bring physical water without bringing the living water as well. So we decided to plant the church, to plant a healthy church, walking distance of every African on the continent. A young man by the name of Timothy became the pastor. A small building was erected knowing that one day this well was going to be finished. On the day that they turned the spigot for the very first time and water spilled down onto the ground and started to make mud, the entire city had come out. The, the village had come and people from the neighboring communities had come and there was a celebration what you'll see is you'll see the water start to come for the first time and many of them have not seen clean water like that in a decade and they'll start to applaud and erupt in applause that there is now clean water in their village. Pastor Timothy started to invite people to church and people started to come to church. The entire city began to experience a move of God, began to experience the presence and the blessing and the favor of Jesus. People started to turn from Islam. They started to tell their family members and their neighbors about how Jesus had come, how he had died on a cross and rose from the dead three days later. And one day Jesus was going to come back and to receive people into himself. They started to tell their neighbors and their neighbors started to experience Jesus for the very first time. And the church was full. And one day there was a knock at Pastor Timothy's door. 
walked to the door and opened it and there was a man that he'd become familiar with standing in the doorway a man who converted from Islam the man looked at Pastor Timothy and said I would like to be baptized and so Pastor Timothy was excited about this it's something they believed in and known was going to happen from the day that the church was founded. And so he told them, young man, he said, when, when you come back in two weeks, we're going to have a baptism service and you'll be baptized that day. And the man put his hand on the door, pushed it further open and said, I'd like to be baptized now. And so Pastor Timothy looked around and saw that there was no well. There was no body of water. There was no pool was a well that had just been dug. So he turned on the water and the water started to spill onto the ground and make mud and Pastor Timothy looked at the man and said, lay down. And so he laid down. Do you know the implications of this for that man? See, when a Muslim, when a Muslim man accepts Jesus, family doesn't get frustrated just because he's made a declaration with his mouth. But the entire family becomes concerned when someone chooses baptism as a follow-up to their verbal declaration. Why? Because it's a sign to the world that I have made a decision to follow Jesus. It's a sign to the world that I've made a decision to follow Jesus. And so when this young, recent convert from Islam laid down onto the ground, he was surrendering his life. He was surrendering his family, the safety of his son, the safety of his family, the safety of his daughter. He was surrendering his future simply to lay down onto a pile of mud to believe in that moment that this was the day that the world would know, I have made a decision for Jesus. Pastor Timothy said, roll around. So he rolled around in the mud. He said, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And that man, filled with God's strength and encouragement, got up. And he went to tell his whole family about Jesus. He started telling his neighbors about Jesus, his village about Jesus. He started telling people that he'd never met about Jesus. And a move of God was established in the community. It wasn't long before there was another knock at Pastor Timothy's door. And when he went to the doorway there, standing in his doorway was this man and his wife. She said, I would like to be baptized. So Pastor Timothy turned on the water and the water spilled on God says there is nothing impossible 
for me. It's not impossible for 250 million people to experience a move of God. It's not impossible for the church to be established in Kinshasa. It's not impossible for the church in Namibia that only has six congregations today to experience a new church plant. It is not impossible for northern Nigeria, which has the most Christian martyrs of any place in the world, to experience a move of God. Why? Because nothing is impossible with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Nothing is impossible with God. And that's that's where you and I come into play. That's where you and I get to share in the joy and in the goodness of everything that God is doing. Because most of us will never go to northern Ghana and see the water well and set foot in Pastor Timothy's church. But because you send missionaries around the world, people who don't know Jesus today, and experiencing him tomorrow, that becomes a part of your victory as well. That becomes a part of your win. That becomes a part of your joy. It becomes a part of your story, a part of your testimony. It becomes a part of the good thing that God does in you because you may not go, but you sinned because you have sinned and you've given above and beyond to missions this year. Beyond Beaumont, Beaumont and beyond. God uses Redemption Church on Park Street change the world because you are sending people like me around the world. Seven years. Seven years that my mom and my dad prayed about the will of God. Seven years it took set in 1989 in front of a group of men and women talking about needs on the continent of Africa and where my mom and dad could serve. My dad was frustrated after an hour of talking about places in Africa that could use a worker. He started to push the table back, getting ready to stand. A gray-haired man by the name of Don reached out and put his hand on my dad's shoulder. He said, let me tell you about Sierra Leone. In 1989, Sierra Leone was the second most impoverished country in the world, according to United Nations statistics. In 1989, infrastructure was almost non-existent in Africa, in Sierra Leone. In 1989, no missionary that lived in the capital city had a phone. In 1989, you hoped that you would have electricity maybe one day a month. In 1989, people either were Muslims or worshipped their ancestors. The capital city of Freetown had been established by freed American, African-American slaves who had come and established the capital city that they called Freetown because they were free. And the man said, when you capital city when you land you land in a very unique position because the airport juts out onto a peninsula that sticks out into the water and he 
said when you land on the peninsula and they lower the bridge, you walk down to the bottom of the steps and you'll see that you're surrounded on three sides by water. But on the other side, you'll see that there's a bay of water and there is a city that rises up on the mountains all the way from where the mountains come down to the beach is the capital city of Freetown. And you can see the twinkling lights even from the airport sticking out into the peninsula. In 1989, my mother and father said yes to a place that he'd seen in his dream seven years earlier for the purposes of establishing the church because God had called them to do something they never thought that maybe they could do on their own. God's not calling anybody in this room to do something that he will not empower you to do. God will not call you to do something that he will not give you the strength or the anointing to be a part of. I say this because just like Ezekiel stood in the middle of a valley of dry bones and God said, can these bones live? God is asking some of you that very same question. Can these bones live? Can these bones live? Can these bones live? Can your family live? Can your neighborhood live? Can Beaumont live? Can Port Orange live? Can these bones live? If these bones can live, it has nothing to do with your strength. It has nothing to do with our ability. It has everything to do with our answer. If God says go, will your answer be no? If God says go, can your answer simply be yes? Because if it is, if it is, we have no understanding of the power of God that goes before us when we simply entrust our steps to his hand. I want to be in the palm of his hand. I'm afraid. I'm nervous, I'm confused, I'm frustrated, but I trust and serve a God who from the foundation of the world has been calling men and women to his side. And our response to him in that moment is yes. Maybe you'll be a sender and you'll financially give to send missionaries around the world or perhaps you'll be a goer and you'll hear the voice of the Lord saying, 